I am all for paying to market to new customers, but I'll never be able to wrap my mind around paying for our own diners. Why should we have to pay cover fees? It's like getting penalized for being busy. That's why I'm a huge fan of Yelp Guest Manager. It's a reservation and waitlist system connected to a diner network nine times larger than Open Table, and they never charge cover fees. Learn about their new $99 per month plan for newly opened restaurants at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and tell them Full Comp sent you. Now here we go. I didn't experience much like feedback or you're wrong or shut this is too aggressive. It became more of a, we all support it. So we need to do it. It became exciting and scary for everyone. And it was the most self-trust I've had in my entire career at this moment was to just stick to the vision, stick to what we thought, and then double down on we're making the right move. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators served up on the house. What's up with big chefs opening restaurants in small markets? Is it just me or have you noticed the trend too? What I'm trying to figure out is, what do they know that we don't? The quest for that answer led me to Chef Quentin Garcia, who left successful concepts in Napa to open a fine dining restaurant in Merced, California. His restaurant is literally the only fine dining restaurant in the area. And today we sit down to discuss how his big city cuisine is faring in a small town. I started cooking very young in my career. So that was about 11 years old. And the goals kind of change all the time, which was I want to be a chef of my own restaurant group. And I want to have all these restaurants and be a restaurateur and, and all this sort of thing. And as I began to mature and find more of my path to cooking and working for really awesome restaurants, it turned into the next step in my career after Napa. I really wanted to be the chef in a place that didn't have a food scene and really bring them food that was better in quality, that was higher in quality, and that was using local resources. I feel that in each town or in each city, there there should be a chef that's doing that and pioneering that. So as I began to look for opportunities, I was lucky enough to have some really awesome ones up in LA and Las Vegas, one up in Chicago. And those were great and they were super enticing with the salary and the benefits, but at the end of the day, it's I'm just another chef there with a, frankly, a spoiled food scene, right? I mean, those those places are great. Visiting them, they're the best places to go see because you can get anything you want anytime. And what drew me to Merced was uh, I've never heard of the city in California, and the operation that I would have potentially gotten was was very big. So it's basically renovating an entire block of this city. And it would have all been under, um, for food-wise, under my direction. And researching everything in the city, I saw its trajectory was coming up, but it was still behind the rest of California. And I didn't see anything about it from an F&B standpoint. There were some restaurants, but it was really just kind of very, very casual spots. And there wasn't a voice for these growers and artisans and anyone really in the hospitality industry that was doing anything here. So after interviewing and then cooking here and seeing 
all the concept decks, that's really what took me in here. It was just kind of screaming at that's the next step in my career, which is kind of a rare thing to take on. And I had all the tools and resources to do it with this position. So with that being said, that's what finally got me here. Talk to me about, I guess, your demand analysis and what went into determining this is what they want and I will give it to them. That was kind of the tricky part. So it's funny to tell everyone now that the version that Rainbird is now was never the original intention. And when I came on board, it was already, we knew the restaurants were going to be kind of what they are. And one of the restaurants we have is a very casual spot, but we make everything from scratch. So the quality is there, but nachos and burgers is just good stuff. A cafe, a little outside patio, our banquets, and then finally Rainbird, which was supposed to be the nicer spot. But the one thing that bothered me about it was with everything that we were doing on this block and renovating for this city, it didn't seem that this final flagship restaurant was up to that quality. Like we were doing ourselves a disservice and we were very, very much playing it safe, which I don't blame from a management company standpoint. That's what you want to do. You throw everything onto a menu and you know these items sell. They might not make sense, but it's going to work. I'm not a big fan of hotel food, and that's what I was kind of getting from it. So I was lucky enough that we had a very, very awesome ownership group. And during my first menu tasting with them, in the middle of the pandemic, I was able to meet them, their family, and, and everyone about them. And they essentially asked me about my thoughts on everything. And when I finally came to Rainbird, um, they asked me, what I thought about that. And I was very lucky that they just listened, that we could do more. And then my background is selfishly, here's kind of what I want to do. But also, I really believe that if you're pioneering an entire city to change their F&B scene, then we need to be the ones that pioneer fine dining for this area of California. And what that means for the community, what that means for the growers, and what that means for the people that are coming to us all the time and eat. That kind of scared people a little bit, and understandably so, because that would mean a lot of backtracking. That would mean delays in opening. That would mean changing interior design, changing the menu. It's everything. But shortly after, it sparked a bit of a discussion with the ownership group, and they said, with me, the F&B director, and our general manager at the time, they said that they believe that we have really good talent in Merced, and they made the decision to move forward with our direction. So I had some amazing help. I had some amazing F&B planners, analysis, and I was lucky enough to work with some talented chefs just to cook along with during my development here. And over the course of the next year and a half, we began to form the vision, the food, the plates, what level of service is going to be. And after we did the very first tasting for this restaurant, for ownership group again, it was great to have that assurance of that. This was truly something very unique in the city. They've never seen anything like it. And it was good and not pretentious. And I think that was really the direction we wanted to go for, to introduce fine dining into an area that's never had it before. That's the scariest thing because it has everything against you to fail, every single thing against you. You're forcing people to pay a certain amount of money, right? And people are used to saying, I don't want to spend, you know, $85 on a tasting menu. And you don't want to say to them, right, like, well, if you go to the Bay Area, you could spend 150 minimum, but we're not the Bay Area. And these people that live here and that just stay here, they're not familiar with it. So we went in with the mindset of knowing that there's going to be a couple years of education for our hospitality staff, as well as the community as a whole. 
And what we're really grateful for is with all that planning and our price point and the level of service that we do has come off as very welcoming, inviting, instead of intimidating and pretentious, which is what everyone thought that we were going to be. So with all those things and all the extra time planning into it and hyper-focusing on local artisans, it's been received extremely well here. And the amount of growth that we had in just under a year of opening was more successful than I thought it would be. And I think it was five months into opening, we were lucky enough to get into a Forbes article for our tasting menu. And then we got placed alongside of Manresa for transcending tasting menus and getting next to those restaurants and some magazines and other articles, and other chefs, like getting placed next to those, those chefs that you look up to. It's really awesome. Even if maybe everyone else in the community aren't aware of those things, it's still good to know that the team and I are, we're on the right trajectory. You guys have done a really successful job at messaging in a way that resonates with your audience. Can you talk to me specifically about like what that message is when people come in and they say, hey, this is too expensive or hey, your food is weird or how do you guys overcome that? I think the best way we overcome that is just letting people speak their minds instead of being combative. And while some people come and go about it in a super disrespectful ways, I mean, we all know those types of guests. There are other people that are just, they'll call us on the phone and they'll say, what if I just want half the menu? And we explain <laughs> that, you know, we're not really that type of restaurant. Like if you're, if you're coming here, you're purchasing the experience that we're crafting for you. And I promise you that even though it's only, you're getting a full five courses, you're going to leave full and your experience is going to be an hour and a half to two hours here. So it's a plan. It's a night out. It's not a appetizer entree and a drink and, and you're gone. We explain the level of intimacy and the level of effort we go to the source where we're getting our stuffs from. It doesn't always come from the back of a truck. It comes from literally me driving an hour away and foraging things where it comes from another forage or it comes from a really awesome procurements company or a farm just down the street that's bringing in things to us. It's a lot of hard work. And we just ask that you trust us and deliver that experience to you. And most of the time, what we get is those people that come in with a little bit of hesitation after we're made aware of them and we just give them our extra warmth of hospitality and we show them the dishes. It has always been just surprise and shock. And I think it's kind of something that we both enjoy, right? Is like as a curator of it and as the guests themselves, I mean, you can never predict the guest reaction. And then when they sit there for the very first time, and this is their first entry into fine dining, and they get that level of warmth, they get that level of impression, they get like, your food is art, and you're just kind of soaking it in. And it's so good to see them react that way, to feel validated that you created a really good experience for them, and to let the team know that you guys are doing a kick-ass job. It's kind of the most. And then, you know, you get the people that never come in, ever, 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 but they just will always criticize a place like they came in and ate the meal. And you're just like, well, you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, you haven't come in here and, and you invite them in like, oh, I would never go in there. Well, then I don't know why you're going and like giving us one stars everywhere when you've never given us a chance, like at least come in and give us one star. But but it's just kind of letting the people that don't want change, they always weed themselves out. But the people that are curious, it's our job to hook them, to let them in and, and to make them want to come back. 
And if those people that truly have an open mind, if we don't get them to want to come back or if they leave a little bit disappointed, that is fully on us. I never, ever, ever pass it off onto the guest, even if the guest comes in and, and they're not fully understanding what we're doing. It's our job that we didn't educate them enough on what's in these dishes, how they're made, where they're from, why, understanding what they may or may not like. And in this area, I found out the most that they like their red meat cooked a little bit more than usual. And that breaks my heart a little bit, but as long as they're happy, you know, <laughs> we do it. <laughs> so one of the things that, that's really interesting about Rainbird, I think paired with the concept, is that it's a destination restaurant. So. It's not like folks are walking down the street and then spur of the moment, they're like, oh, well, let's go to Rainbird for dinner tonight. It's a very specific use case. And so I would think that marketing plays a central role in the overall operation of the business. How did you guys market up to launch? And then how do you find the people in the community that you think would be most interested in what you do for a living? The marketing beforehand was definitely a bit of a trick. And because there's just nothing like it, right? So. That also adds so much more difficulty to anything. Just like, you know that the market is there. It's just how to tap into them. And we went to some of the clients in the UC, some of the clients that we had when we first opened up these operations deep in the city. And we kind of branched out ourselves. We went to a couple of food shows. We actually branched out to LA for this. So we branched out into the LA, the San Francisco and Monterey markets of places where sometimes our own community members would go out to if they wanted an experience and knowing that people in these markets, they just passed through Merced. There's never been a reason for them to stop. And with everything that we've been doing, opening up a really awesome hotel, another restaurant down the street, an IT tech company across the street, and now a fine dining restaurant, there was more reason than ever to stop here. So it was letting them know there's a reason to come visit give us a chance, give this place a chance and let us show you kind of this rebirth and this revitalization of this community. And that's kind of what we focused on. It wasn't just so much of my story or where I'm coming from or putting the food in their face. It was telling them Merced as a whole is a reason to stop there and not just pass through. And that's what we nailed it and focused on. Once we opened, it became, now we have data, now we have the food, now we have pictures of everything. So it was showing them if you're interested in it, but you can't really pull the trigger, here's more of the food, here's more of the action, here's some more videos of us and videos of our partners, of our farmers actually making it happen. And that's usually what kind of brings the people in to hook them. So we've been lucky enough to get people from LA that followed us during our first LA food show event. So super awesome market. And we got a lot of interest from that. And we'll get some from San Diego, San Francisco, Sacramento, Napa. And now we get such a big mix of people sometimes that aren't even from Merced some nights in the restaurant. And it's great that we're getting those people out there and that we're hitting the right publications for that right market that wants an experience is now beginning to slowly venture out to us. But it's kind of taking our time and making sure that the people that we want to advertise with are hitting the right markets, not just taking every little bite that we can get. It's super smart because marketers talk about TAM, total addressable market. And one of the things when I pivoted from, or I guess when we evolved from a dive bar in Hollywood to a fine dining restaurant, was that the TAM that you need for a fine dining restaurant is 100x what you need for a dive bar. 
People that love your bar will go to it every day of the week, seven days a week. People that love your restaurant, that tell other people about it, are coming to you twice a year, right? If you're lucky. So the total market size for a fine dining restaurant has to be massive. And it's so interesting to hear what you say, because going into this interview, I thought to myself, there's no way that Merced itself could maintain the volume required for this restaurant to succeed. So it's super smart that when you look at your total addressable market, it's expansive. You're covering hundreds of miles. Yes. Yeah. It's part of the natural growth. I mean, we're very aware that Merced, it is a smart community, but in the greater scope of things, Merced from the outside has just always been seen as a place to pass through. So it's a bigger thing to show this community that, hey, we're definitely here for you. We're staying here for the long haul. But also our job in pioneering everything is to show people on the outside that always kind of have this connotation of Merced is that that's done. We've done all this work. Now the next time you come here, you have full reason to come to this part of town. So that's really where they hit it off. And I think our marketing team internally and externally did a really good job of nailing that down for this ramp up period. And again, with the publications we've had come on board and to get Forbes in this small town, it was super awesome. So it's been hitting all the right spots. Seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're gonna learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of this as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you. But they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and killing those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. You've cobbled together an amazing team in the restaurant, and I think that by nature, they're probably really, really amazing people, but you're teaching them something that I'm sure many of them had never been exposed to before. How do you teach? How do you empower? How do you inspire in a community where there was really no frame of reference? It's tricky, but part of that comes from a background of being, when I first became executive chef, a really poor teacher. I came from a lot of kitchens and a lot of chefs and some three Michelin star places that were incredible food. But I'm sure, as you know, still in this time, there are a lot of three-star places with just super toxic behavior. And when I first became a chef, I held on to my early experience with fine dining, kind of in the middle of it, going to Europe and then coming back from a three-star restaurant. And it was incredibly toxic. I was just terrible. I was awful. And recognizing that and how I was making the team feel didn't resonate well with me after a certain period of time. And 
changing that mindset to think that um, to get over the ego and think that everyone's going to be as good as you and everyone's going to care as much as you, which is kind of the frustrating thing to me. It's never going to exist. Either some people naturally have that drive in them to want it within themselves or they have it, but you have to kind of really mold them to get there. And some need more patience than others. So the way that I've led things here has been to first that we're exploring everything together. I am by no means no culinary God or do I have all the answers? Because a lot of the time when I think of an idea, it's, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. It's literally an idea and we need to work together to figure this out. Working next to them side by side to where they feel comfortable enough to where if they have a question, they know that they can ask me and I can train them or my sous chef can be there right next with them. As opposed to some kitchens where it's, you might have a question, but if you ask the question, you're kind of doomed, right? I mean, you're getting kicked out, you're getting screamed at, you're getting belittled. So you just like try to find ways to cover it. And that environment wasn't going to do for me because it is such a small team for the type of food that we're doing that they really have to work as a team and not have to feel that they need to cut each other's throats. And the next thing on top of them is that I remember as a cook working in these types of restaurants, which were incredibly stressful and the stations at these restaurants are not easy. I remember always working it. And then if something happened to where chef kicked a cook off the line or a cook called out sick and they were belittled for that and a chef had to step in, I always, and I never forgot it, remembering either the executive chef or one of the sous chefs struggling on that station, not being able to handle the beast that they expected a cook, which they saw so much lower to handle it. And I never forgot how much respect I lost for those chefs when I saw that happen on the easiest of stations, on the lowest of stations and on the hardest of stations. And I always told them, no matter what, if you or you or you call out, if you're sick, you need to go on vacation. I will never create a monster that I cannot handle myself. And I know that I can. And if if I'm on the station, if I can't handle it, then we're going to change it because it's not sustainable for me to expect that from you. So. The biggest thing that has made them feel like a team and feel whole and have that good morale is is feeling supported, as feeling like they're understood. I know that feeling of being held to a high standard when I was a cook. And when you're a cook and you're holding those high standards, you need to reward that with treating them human and just understanding exactly where they are and where they're cooking and, and the stresses that they're going to. And when they put up a plate and it's perfect, recognizing every step that cook took to to get there. That's kind of how I manage them, manage their teachings and their morale on a, on a day-to-day basis when it gets really hectic. I want to talk about sticking to your guns. So there are varying degrees of fine dining, right? There's more casual Union Square hospitality group type fine dining. Then there's what you're doing at Rainbird, which is, I would say, on the higher, more aggressive end of fine dining. I can't imagine it was easy to launch. Right. And then there's so much education that goes into it. I am sure that if you turn to your partners involved in this project and you say, you know what, the tasting menu is a bit much. We're going to dial this thing back. It's going to be fine dining, but more approachable and kind of a more casual environment. I don't think anyone would have been mad. Right. And I think that as restaurateurs, as chefs, we do this a lot where we come up with an idea, we decide to niche down. We have a firm understanding of the expectations that we're trying to set with the customers. And then there's a little pushback or it starts a little slower than we would like, or it ramps up quick and then it begins to draw back. And in those moments, we question ourselves. 
And it requires courage and strength of will to push through those questions and continue on with the original vision that we had. Talk to me about that. So I did have a few of those moments. This was more intimidating because right now I have a job that I thought I would have as a young cook. I thought I'd have this job when I was like 40s, right? I mean, developing all these restaurants and developing all the menus and really being the face of the culinary side of this part for what is going to set the standard for F&B here in the future. That's a big task. And with corporate support and everything, it was intimidating for this, what I always called myself, like this no-name younger chef to kind of come up and say, I feel this idea is wrong and I feel it's wrong for these reasons. And getting some support in that aspect was really good. And as it began to come to fruition, the support person I was working with said, you know, hey, let's grab a menu, let's do this exercise together and let's kind of look at it. When I gave the menu the first time, the reaction was almost scared or intimidated, just not understanding it. And again, coming from a concept that was safe to see something kind of progressive and that nothing could comp to from a higher standpoint, the people looking at it before it goes to the next approval process and ownership were like, let's kind of like slow down for a second and kind of trying to put me back into where the first stage of it was. And it was, it was intimidating to kind of just stay there and say, I get your reservations. I don't believe you're right. And telling that to someone who is 10 times smarter than you, who's been in the game longer, who's pretty much entire life is doing this, creating successful concepts of saying, I don't doubt that your concept is going to be successful. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that concept is not the right concept for the overall vision of what we're trying to do. And sticking to that and not allowing it to backslide, but allowing it to be progressive, I found that it made, besides just me, like a little scared of this is a huge jump, it made everyone scared. And while refreshing, it also did give me a lot of days where I just kind of sat and I said, you know, oh, geez, Christ, this is a lot of, instead of get hearing it from like a director of ops or someone supporting it being like, chef, we kind of really need to know what you think. We need to know your thoughts and becoming an executive chef. It's a scary jump, right? Because there's no one else to, to say, oh, as a sous chef, like chef told me to do this. You are the chef, right? So you kind of get used to a standpoint of I'm the chef, I make the final call. And then when you get into a job like this, there's some corporate structure and corporate support. So totally fine with that. When it came down to this, it, it went back to that side's gone. It's chef, what is the next move here? That was even scarier. So it really just had to be a lot of guttural instinct of what we're doing is right. And what we're doing is it is the right move and just translating to people that we're going to get some excitement, but we're building into this territory that has been untapped here. It is not going to go smoothly. There is going to be so much discovery, but I know that for your vision as an ownership group and our vision as a management company, that is the right thing to do. We are doing the correct thing in setting the bar. And it was constantly letting people know that. And after that first little period of where they finally saw like, here's what the menu is going to be and here's how it's going to transpire to guests. That hesitation, I didn't experience much like feedback or you're wrong or shut this is too aggressive. It became more of a, we all support it. And you know, we're all here for this. So we're all here for the ride and we're here for the long haul. So we need to do it. It became exciting and scary for everyone 
And sometimes I had to be the one to calm myself down because I couldn't go be like, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I'm the one that's that's saying these ideas. So it was the most self-trust I've had in my entire career at this moment was to just stick to the vision, stick to what we thought, and then double down on we're making the right move. You've had the opportunity to build multiple restaurant concepts from the ground up which is just an exceptional opportunity. And then in addition to that, you got to do it with other people's money. Are you journaling? Are you taking notes? Are you saying when I open my place, I'm going to double down on these things that went really well, and I'm definitely going to avoid these things because it was a shit show. Are you tallying the results of your efforts? Every day. I do that every single day, especially with things that Maybe I can't get answers to from external sources. I have no problem with going in and trying to figure things out myself. And the cool thing is, is we have experts here in each of their own things. I mean, we have experts here in sales and marketing. We have an expert in accounting. We have an expert in our our community impact. So I use my resources as much as I can to learn the best of what I can. And for me, the biggest help operational-wise has been the knowledge I've learned from all of our AP systems and almost becoming like a more of an accountant than I ever have been before. Sometimes frustrating, but still the knowledge I'm able to learn from that is truly awesome for whatever the next venture in my career is. If it's my own or if it's opening up another property with this group, it's knowing where I was a few years ago and where I am now is just completely different places and even more valuable. So yeah, it's a huge learning experience and extremely grateful that I've I've been able to get the trust and the validation and the assurance that, hey, we've been spending your money correctly, and this is going along with your vision. And those opportunities like that are, are incredibly rare, because if you're working with an ownership group or something, it's usually it's our way, and you're going to execute it, right? And this has been the opposite of that. This has been true collaboration and true ideas to come together for something bigger than all of us. So that's what I'm the most grateful for. And I feel like with a mindset like that and a teamwork like that, I've been able to learn much more than I would from someone just saying, this is it, do this, follow this. And if you don't want to do it, then someone else is is the right person for the job. When you think about going independent, does that shade your perspective? No, because my experience with some independent restaurants and chef owners is, is really that. They might have an amazing, sexy menu, but why is anyone going to go there if they don't know how to go there? And the stubbornness of, I don't want social media. I don't want to invest in a website. I don't want to invest in my own name. And and you just want to tell them like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, no one's going to take you seriously if you're not taking yourself seriously. And if you're not branding yourself correctly and you're not finding some sort of creative way to let people know that you're there. I feel that some chefs in the open place is just, well, I'm going to have a great restaurant with great food. But there's more to a restaurant than that and finding out who you're marketing to. And then some chefs that are their own bookkeepers are terrible bookkeepers, terrible bookkeepers. So learning the tricks and the trade of those people, which I'll never be as good as them. But now I have the tools to know enough of how to market myself better, how to start the brand, how to really create a successful business plan, how to look five years into the future, how to monitor my year over year growth and how to see if I'm going in the right direction or where to see we're going down right now, here's how to flex this. There's a lot of people that don't utilize all that experience through their career or don't utilize their resources. And no matter what, you always can. Even if you're a cook in a place 
I was always asking the general manager or the partner of the restaurant of show me a P&L, show me what you're looking at. And I remember the very first time I looked at this, he said, well, last month was really good. And this month we're down about $30,000. And I was like, how? And he's like, that's just the way of the business is just a little bit slow. But you know what? Next month we have some banquets in the books. It's good. It's all going to even out by the end of the year. And for me, just hearing that we're losing $30,000 this month, but next month it's fine. Like wanted me to go and understand that more because I didn't get it. So there's a huge advantage to going to people saying, I don't know anything that you do, but it's important to me when I create my own business. So teach me and having a good repertoire with those people that will last you a lifetime and also impart knowledge into you into that very moment when you apply yourself to retain it. So it gives me even more fuel because I know that in comparison with some chefs and I will own a place where there is a chef that is much better than me in the area. But I know if that chef, like many others who might fall to that curse of not making it because they just focus on the food, I will have the advantage because I know how to focus on the bigger picture of more than just me and what's on the plate, but everything around me, everything it takes to make the business successful. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? I think it's kind of on the change now. I don't know where it really took off from, but the biggest thing for me, especially coming up from abusive kitchens and being that abusive chef for a short period of time, is that needs to go away. That does not mean that discipline and structure needs to go away, but treating people as less than human and purposely paying them illegally less than what they need to minimally be paid or purposefully taking advantage of people like that, that needs to be gone. So sometimes when I'm seeing like these giants, like getting, hey, you didn't pay your crew the minimum wage for the past like five years, it's you're reaping what you sow. And at the bare minimum, people will never forget. They might work for you and become really, really good and 10 times better for you, but they will never forget what might have transpired in those walls of working for your kitchen. And some people hold it with them and they breed that toxicity. And some people and like me learn to say, well, that level of recognition for food and, and an F&B program is what I want. I will never step down to that level of a chef and be that terrible. Just be a monster. I think more of that needs to change. And I've seen that almost hit in a bit of a hard way now is those kitchens have a hard time retaining people. And those kitchens that have labor models of accounting for stages all the time are struggling. And I'm hoping that there is a healthy way for them to adapt, to really sit down with themselves and say, hey, this isn't working anymore. The industry is changing. And if more and more chefs just keep sticking to that method, then they're going to destroy us. But that doesn't mean that we can't still have the fine dining and the structure and the intensity of it while still giving a place that pays people right, that gives them motivation to come in every single day while enjoying their work environment. It's a really stressful job. It's high intensity sometimes. And even on the days where it kind of blows up, there still needs to be a sense of responsibility from whoever it is instead of just saying, oh, chef blew up at me. But you know what? He's God here. Nothing's going to happen. That's just what it is. Chef's just angry all the time. I think that work environment really needs to change and any work environment that is against that and that's helping that and, and being sustainable and treating their employees right finds themselves retaining their employees 
they're in a much better spot. And to that saying is culinary wise in our kitchens, because of the way that we do that and the way that we run this place, we haven't come into that hardship of not being able to operate the establishments, not being able to keep up with business demands because we have retained a lot of employees because they like coming in here because they enjoy what they're doing. The fear or that stress or that toxicity bearing down on them every single day. So the value of retaining employees, training them right, and then just giving them a place where you want to be in a good mood, right? As a chef and as an operator, you don't want to come in angry and upset. It affects everyone. You want everyone to feel good. And when your team feels good, when they feel confident and you say, we're sold out tonight in every single outlet, are you good? And they're all just like, yeah, we're good. Instead of saying, no, we're stressed. My sous chefs are pissed off. I'm pissed off. That's just a terrible day. So if we can fight that, then I don't know. People just stick with you, man. You love your job more. You like it. You enjoy yourself a lot more. And only recently as a chef have I begun to, from a mental standpoint, actually really enjoy it with my mood. It's always been a little bit of like anger and hate and something like that that's been driving me. And recently it's been, I mean, I really, this is awesome. Like I really dig it. And even on the intense days in a fine dining restaurant, it's just good. So I really savor that environment. I enjoy teaching the cooks here how to live in that, how to breathe that. And when they go next, how to not accept someone that's giving you something purposefully toxic. That's Chef Quentin Garcia. For more on his restaurant, visit rainbirdrestaurant.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.